River Bank, we believe you can heal, grow, and fulfill God's plans for your life as the power of God touches you through this prophetic teaching by Pastor Dominion. Get excited and hop into it. Today I'll be, we'll be studying on something I've titled Grace Empowers. Say Grace Empowers. And last week we started by saying that the grace message has become a trigger point and a tunnel for many people. How many of you remembered? Exactly. And so when many people hear grace message, they're already offended. They're angry at anyone associated with that kind of message. It's now a scandalous message. And in all fairness, right, if the grace message is actually false, we should hate it with every passion we have. You know, however, Christianity is not about camps. Oh, that's what they believe. And that's the challenge, right? Many of us like this camp ideas. Me versus you. Our people, our group. You know, we just bring that same idea into Christianity. And so, we don't even wait to listen to what the message has to offer. We don't even wait for the person to explain what they are saying. Say, oh, is it that great message? I heard that. You heard. You haven't investigated. But you already hit the message without investigating it. And you see, the challenge is this. Many times, you'll see, the message is false. The Bible says this, and so it negates the message. You see, and that's where the problem is. Because to arrive at truth, to arrive at the truth of scripture, one or two scriptures quoted is not enough. And so, an entire teaching that spans from the beginning of the Bible to the end of the Bible, you will not pay attention to listen because someone quoted one or two scriptures that seem to say that is wrong. There's something called the entire counsel of God. Are you hear what I'm saying? There's something called the total counsel of God. And it means that for you to understand any subject in the Bible, you must gather all the relevant scriptures concerning it. You know the interesting thing about this grace message? It's the fact that you would find the teachings of grace from the beginning of the Bible to the end. Interestingly, it applies to every Bible teaching. Praise the name of Jesus. But because someone just quoted one scripture, and we know that you don't read your Bible. Abi. So, because the person just, in fact, some people can even quote something that might not be in the Bible, but the way they quoted it looks like it is in the Bible. They say, you know, the Bible says that heaven helps those who help themselves, you know? It's not there. Some of you are shocked. It's true, it's not there. It's literally not there. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Let me tell you something. Let me tell you something. Let me tell you something. Even if you don't read your Bible, you should at least know that the Bible has a teaching on grace. And so if they say the popular narrative is wrong, your question should be, what's the true one? If this is counterfeit, what is original? Are you hearing what I'm saying? So, even if you say the grace message is wrong, the message, the way to approach God is by doing things, not by grace. Then the question is, what is the actual true 
grace message. Because we know that, at least in the Bible, it says, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Spirit be with us. Isn't it? So what is the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ? What does it mean? Are you hearing what I'm saying? To arrive at truth, you must understand that you can only arrive at truth by the whole counsel of God. You bring all the relevant scriptures concerning a subject matter. All the relevant scriptures. You know, divide them topic by topic by topic. And say what is true. A friend of mine says, and I agree, Bible study is an exhaustive discipline. It's exhaustive. It's hard work. It's diligence. Praise the name of Jesus. And the biggest challenge in Bible study many times is this, is, is the word bias. The fact that we cannot look at something objectively. We come with what's called preconceived notions. And so even if I say, alright, let's look at the Bible. You say, I don't want to hear. You want to confuse me. You want to deceive me. Calm down. It's your Bible. Look at your own Bible. If you will not read your Bible, at least allow me point some scriptures and allow you think through them. If you come with bias, let me tell you, even if Jesus Christ of Nazareth comes in front of you, he will not convince you. Praise the name of Jesus. Let's look at Galatians chapter 3 verse 18. Please everyone open your Bibles. Galatians chapter 3 verse 18. We have very limited time. I want us to move as fast as we can. Galatians chapter 3. Thank you Lord. Verse 18. Are you there? Alright, open very quickly. Galatians 3 verse 18. Everyone open your Bible. Or look into your Bible. Are you there now? Alright, read together. One, two, go. It looks like all of you are not there. Are you all there now? Alright, read together. One, two, go. Did you see that? He says, if the inheritance is of the Lord, then it's no more of promise. He says, but this is one thing that is clear. God gave it to Abraham by promise. So, what's he saying? That there's something that God has that he wants you to inherit. He says, if he gave you conditions... Before he gave you what he was going to give you as inheritance. If there were certain moral codes you had to meet up to. Before you get the inheritance is no more a promise. But here's what is clear in scripture. It was a promise. Meaning, the scriptures are clearly telling us. That there's something that God has to give us. Are you hearing me? That he does not wait for us to meet certain moral parameters. For him to give us. He says it's a promise. Is that clear? He says if the inheritance is of the law, if the inheritance will come to you because you met certain moral parameters, he says then it's not a promise. He says, but this is one thing that is clear. God gave it to Abraham by promise. Meaning, Abraham didn't have to meet certain moral codes to get it. And it's even clear. Go to Romans chapter 4. I didn't even plan to read this, but look at it. Very clear in scriptures. Romans chapter 4. 
Verse 1, I'll start. He says, what did our father Abraham pertaining to the flesh find? So, the same Abraham, isn't it? What did he discover? He said, for if Abraham was justified by his works, by certain moral codes, the same topic, isn't it? The same Abraham, the same topic. He says, he would have had something to glory, but not before God. He said, for what did the scripture say? If Abraham had gotten this thing that God had to give him, by meeting certain parameters, he would have had something to brag about, but not before God. He said, but what did the scripture say? He said, for Abraham believed. Say believed. Say it again, believed. Abraham believed and it was counted to him as righteousness. Meaning it was credited to his account. Now, we know God has righteousness, isn't it? God is righteous, isn't it? And then God gives Abraham righteousness simply because he believed. He started by saying, if Abraham worked for it, if Abraham met certain parameters, we'll have said, oh, Abraham met certain parameters. He did some things right. I mean, look at his life. But he said, Abraham believed and God gave him righteousness. The righteousness that God has, he gave him. He says, now, verse 4, look at this. Read verse 4, want to go? Verse 4, everyone wants to go. Now to him that walketh, him that has done the, he has done, met the parameters, he says his reward is not reckoned as what? Grace. So this is the grace message. The Bible is teaching you now. But he says, if you walk for it, what you get is not called grace. If Abraham walked for his righteousness, the righteousness he got won't be by grace. Look at what the Bible says. He says, but of death. Verse 4. Everyone, want, verse 5, everyone wants to go. He says, but to him that walketh not, say walketh not, realize that these are the words of the Bible. To him that did not meet those parameters, but depend or believe on the God that justifies the ungodly. Is the ungodly not someone that has not met moral parameters? Is the ungodly not someone that has not led a life of righteousness? He says, to him that believes in God, that justifies the ungodly. So God is described as somebody that looks at someone that is not godly and declares that the person is just. It's in your Bible. He says to him that did not work. Let me tell you something. And this is the challenge, right? I've said it. Many people don't read their Bibles. And that's why you think that you can meet certain moral parameters and God will say you are righteous. He says even if Abraham worked for it, he can be boasting around all of us, but not before God. For who is going to judge us at the end of the day? Me or God? Exactly. So, if Abraham had worked for his righteousness and had kept certain parameters, he can boast. He can brag and say, oh, I've done this, I've done this, I've done this, I've done this. He said, but not before God. Because your righteousness will have to meet up to God's righteousness such that you and God have the same level of righteousness for you to enter his kingdom. You know, do you get what I'm saying? You can't. 
I don't have all the time to show you. But when you read Second Corinthians chapter five, what the Bible said we got, he's, he says that we. So what we inherited is that we become the righteousness of God. The righteousness of God, meaning God only measures you as righteous when your righteousness reaches His own. He has to be a gift, though. He has to dash you. Leave it. He says, not only does he measure your actions, he measures your thoughts and your intention. Ah, who is stand? You know what the Bible says? This is the conclusion. If God marks iniquity, he says nobody will stand. So, all the people that are positing that, you know, you must meet certain parameters before you can be righteous. He says, if God marks sin, nobody will stand. You know the way they say that in English, essay writing, nobody can get 100%. That's man, no. That's man. He will still find fault. If God should mark iniquity, nobody will stand. So, our only option is the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's it. Glory to God. Let's go back to Galatians 4. Let me show you something. Galatians 3, where we were. Let me show you something there. Glory to God. Have you you learned something today? Alright. He says, for the inheritance is of the law. He says, it's not, it's no more of promise. He said, but God gave it to Abraham by promise. And here's where the challenge comes in next. When people read something like this, they zone out of everything that the Bible has said. They use human experience to judge it. And then they arrive in error. Let me explain it. So they say something like this. For if the inheritance is by the law, there's no more promise. Inheritance, right? Now the Bible clearly says, Abraham got it by promise. But here is how people would explain themselves away from what the Bible said because of bias. Because they already have a bias. They will have something they want the Bible to say. So they will not pay attention to what the Bible said. They'll say, inheritance. So if a man, for example, has a business and then he has two sons and he has already promised can see promise, right? And there's a business to inherit. You can see, right? And he has already promised that he'll give his two sons this business. But one is wayward. And one behaves himself, the responsible young man. Who will the man give his inheritance to? The responsible young man. Don't ask how much more God. So it makes sense logically. But here's the challenge. You don't know God and you cannot know God by logic you can only know God by revelation except he reveals himself to you praise the name of Jesus he says no man can know the mind of God except the spirit of God so in fact he says he has given us his spirit so that we will know the things that are freely given to us by God So it only takes the Spirit of God and the things that are revealed in scriptures for you to know God. So it makes sense logically that the man will give his responsible young son his inheritance, but not God. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Not God. Not God. So you have to look at the scriptures and say, what does the scripture say? Is that clear? All right. So your submission must come from what the Bible says. Now on to the next thing. And the question that many people would ask at this point is, so what was the point of all of those laws? 
Here's the funny thing about it. Many of us might not know this, but we know the Ten Commandments, right? We at least we know some of them. What are the ones you know? Thou shalt not steal, uh-huh. thou shalt not uh-huh. commit adultery, thou shalt not call the name of the Lord in vain, thou shalt not covet your neighbor's wife, thou shalt including girlfriend, but no problem. <laughs> Let's continue. That shall not kill, right? There's also observed Sabbath, right? Exactly. That, um, <coughs> don't worry. And so they say, what's the purpose of the law? Or are you saying the law is bad? The whole counsel of God. The whole counsel of God. So you look at the Bible again and say, let the Bible answer the question. Romans 7. Lord. So, we read from Romans chapter 4 earlier, right? Now we're reading Romans chapter 7, isn't it? Entire counsel of God. So, the Romans 7 that talks, the Romans 4 and the book of Romans that talks about the fact that it's by faith without the law also addresses the question if the law is bad. Do you get what I'm saying? So Romans 7, 7, look at what it says. He said, what shall we say then? Is the law sin? Is the law sinful? He says, God forbid. He says, nay, I had not known sin but by the law. Do you see that now? Now skip to verse 7, verse 12. Are you there now? Verse 12. He says, wherefore the law is holy. The commandments are holy. Just and good. Do you see that now? So, here's, here's the submission of the Bible. That you would not attain righteousness because of the law that you kept. But it also submits to you that the law is not sinful. I hear what I'm saying. But if it has to do with the matter of righteousness and how to become righteous and how to receive salvation, it says it's not by the law. Do you get what I'm saying now? Exactly. Go to verse 14. He even goes further to say, for we know that the law is spiritual. So the law is spiritual, the law is holy, the law is good, but the law is not to make you righteous. Simple. Do you get what I'm saying? And if your question is, what's the law suited for? That's what we read in verse 7. It says, I will not have known what sin is, except by the law. So the law informs me on what sin is but does not have the capacity to make me righteous. Do you get what I'm saying? Exactly. So, there are different units in the entire department of God. The law, his own responsibility is to show you that you're a sinner. Anytime you come to meet the law, it will show you that your works are not perfect. Anytime you come to meet the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, it will show you that because of what Christ did for you on the cross, you are the righteousness of God in Christ. Glory to God. Look at Romans chapter 4, verse 16. Let me show you something there. Romans chapter 4, back to Romans 4. Verse 16. It says, therefore it is by faith Do you see that? Romans 4.16 Therefore it is of faith that it might be 
by grace. He said, to the end that the promise might be sure unto all the seeds. So he says, by faith. If it's going to be by grace, it has to be by faith. It has to be that you just believe it. If what God is going to give, He's going to give you freely and you don't have to work for it. It's going to be by the grace of God. So, here's something that you should note. And I, I, I mentioned this last week and this is very important. And, um, you see, if you're not informed from the Bible, the devil will deceive you and you will not know. Do you get what I'm saying? So, for example, you and the person that are talking, you are saying, I'm going to be righteous by the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because of what he's done, I am righteous. The person is saying, no, 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 no. I think you have to meet certain moral parameters for you to be righteous. Notice the both of you have the same goal. The both of you want to be righteous. The difference is what? Method. We talked about that last week, right? And this is where it's very satanic. That what God wants to give you, the devil is also offering you. So, the examples we used last week. Genesis chapter 3. Um, the serpent was talking to Eve. And he said, if you eat this fruit, he says you will be like God. Anything wrong with being like God? Exactly. In fact, the Bible said he made them in his image and his likeness. And then later on you hear that now are we the sons of God. He says when we see him, we we'll be like him. That's what, that's what the serpent was telling evil. He says when you eat it, you'll be like God. It means the goal of God was his goal. The difference is method. He used the same trick for Jesus. Matthew chapter 4. He told Jesus, he says, look at all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. He says, I'll give it to you to bow down. That temptation is so strategic because Jesus came for kingdom and glory. You have to understand this. And what was the response of Jesus? You a liar. Is that what he says? Is that what he said? He didn't say the devil was lying because he had the kingdom and glory. He could give him. He could actually give him. He would have said, you a liar, you don't have it. But he had it and could give him. And God has also promised, I will give you kingdom, I will give you glory. Because when Jesus was born, what did they say? The newborn king. There's no king without a kingdom. When he died on the cross, what he wrote, the inscription was, Jesus Christ, the king of the Jews. King. When he resurrected, his disciples asked him, when would you restore the kingdom? The same question they kept, the same topic they kept talking about concerning Jesus from his birth to his death to his resurrection. Kingdom. King. King. That's what Jesus, the devil was tempting him on. The offer of God was the offer of the devil. The only difference was method. So, many times we have, he has the same offer to give you. So, why you think his greatest strategy will be making you sin? No, is that he wants to make, offer righteousness to you, but work for it. Method, method. Because that's the first trick he used. He used it on Jesus. He's using it on you. You just don't know. Let me tell you something you need to know. And if you don't remember anything, remember the scripture. Galatians chapter 5 verse 4. Listen, if this is the only memory verse you learn, you're fine. <laughs> Galatians chapter 5 verse 4. I need you to read it. I need all of us to be there. Open your Bibles, Galatians chapter 5 and verse 4. Tell me if you're there. 
Galatians 5 is 4. Are you there? Alright, everyone, are you there? Alright, read together. Galatians 5 is 4. One to go. Thank you very much for reading from your Quran. Christ has become of no effect unto you. Ah. It means there's a way to exclude Christ, not from everybody's life, but from your life. As powerful as Christ is, as powerful as the work he did is, you can exclude yourself. He says Christ has become of no effect in your life. You think it's if you keep living a life of sin, that he's going to say, but that's not what he's going to say. Because the devil's greatest offer is not sin. You know why? Because Jesus has died for sin. He says he has blotted out every handwriting of ordinance written against us. He has forgiven us of all our sins. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 7. He says in him, in Christ, is redemption, even the forgiveness of sins. He has forgiven us all our sins. So sin is not the issue anymore. And he knows that. So he now sells what Christ came to sell to you. He just changes the method. Because he knows that if you use his method, you still not get it. So he says, Christ has become of no effect to you. Look at your Bibles. He says, whosoever of you are justified by the law, you're falling from grace. Let me read from a simple translation. I'll read from the NIV. The NIV says, you who are trying to be justified by the law, have been alienated, separated from Christ. He says you are falling away from grace. You would think consistently sinning is how you fall from grace. He says no, no, that's your logic. That's your logic, but that's not scripture. Listen, thank God I'm teaching on grace and empowers you to live a righteous life. The Bible says this. He says when sin abounds, he says grace abounds even much more. Not because he's teaching you to sin. Because we're going to get there. But because in the midst of sin, grace abounds. But when you leave that matter, and you say, I want to be righteous by myself. I want to look at the things I have done. He says, Christ becomes no, of no effect. You fall from grace. Meaning, somebody's doing all the things he thinks he needs to do. And he falls from grace. You know what Jesus told the Pharisees? Those that are the teachers of law, he said, prostitutes and corrupt politicians. He said, they will enter the kingdom of God before you. Why? Because the devil is strategic. He uses the same trick. Is it not righteousness? I will give it to you. Work for it. Praise the name of Jesus. If I look at um, Romans chapter 10, verse um, 1. And this is, this is, this is the point I'm trying to drive from. That your passion for God is not enough. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Your passion for, your bias would not help you. You must add accurate knowledge, the entire counsel of God to your Christian experience. Look at it. It says, brethren, my heart desire and prayer for Israel is that they may be saved. Now you think Israel has started again. You know Israel now. They, those people, they have coconut head. Abi, they know they hear what. You think they've started again? Disobeying all the laws, breaking it, doing anything they want. But that's not the case. The devil is using his 
mighty trick here again. He says, look at it, verse 2. Look at it, verse 2. He says, for I bear them record. This is Paul talking. I bear them record that they have a zeal for God. Now, this opposite of what you think. This is not one of those times that they are flippant and living careless life. He said, this time they are zealous. Ah, how many zealous people do we have in our day that do not have knowledge and the devil is cheating? Because just your zeal and your passion is not enough. Some of us, we don't even have zeal. And we don't have knowledge. We just feel like, you know, how can I walk with God? I mean, look at my life now. Who told you he wants to look at your life? Let me tell you what the Bible says. In Hebrews chapter 12, I think verse 2, he says, looking away from, let me paraphrase, looking away from all these laws and moral codes unto Jesus. The Amplifier says, looking away from all that we distract. He was talking about these laws. Do this and do this. And he says, looking away from them. Because when you are looking at them, they will continue to show you that you are a sinner. But we are sinners saved by grace. So we look unto Jesus. Here's the beautiful thing about it. He says, as we behold, we are being changed. As we behold, we are being changed. So my life might not be perfect, but as I behold him, I'm being changed. He says, into the same image. By the glory of God. Do you see that? So, given the method of transformation we haven't learned. So, you are trying to work on it. You are trying to work on yourself so that you be acceptable to God. No. He says, as we behold. As I continue to contemplate and think of the fact that in my spirit is righteousness. That when God looks at me, he looks at me through the eyes of Christ. He sees me as in Christ. And in Christ is righteousness, is holiness, is sonship. As I continue to think about it, the Bible says there's a miracle that happens to me that my experience would align to what I'm looking at. Praise the name of Jesus. In Romans chapter 4, where we read, 10, where we are, verse 2, he says, I bear them record that they have the zeal of God. He says, but not according to knowledge. Because of that, he said, they did not submit themselves to the righteousness of God. They went about establishing their own righteousness. So, it's important that we realize the Bible's submission concerning righteousness. And it is that we depend on Christ. And realize that for all the sins we committed, he paid for it on the cross. All the sins you come, that is, all the sins he looked at your lifetime from beginning to end. Gathered all the sins, got the aggregates, paid for it in full, and declared that you are righteous. And then let's even take it further, because um, I realize that the scandal against the grace message many times is because, not because of what is necessarily said, but what is not said. You know, people think about what you did not say. And because you did not say it and you did not address it, they begin to wonder, what am I to do in this situation? So, even people that understand the grace message, there's an aspect I realize that they haven't really paid attention to. And it's spiritual growth. The method by which a man is transformed from a man that has habits that he needs to repent of, to a man that is living the glory of God in its fullness. And so we want to look at that. 
What does the Bible say about those kind of things? Praise the name of Jesus. So, we can title this subtopic overcoming temptation or overcoming habits, becoming more like God, your conduct, and fulfilling what God has said concerning your life. Praise the name of Jesus. There are two things you need to do. And this is very important. Let me tell you why this is important. The first one is important because many of the struggles in our lives, we struggled so long. We've tried everything we know to do. Except the first thing we need to do. Do you understand? So it's like you want to get into a university and you need jam or for schools that you need to. Or let's say you need to the UTM, the post UTM of the school. You did everything you need to do besides take the post UTM. Like the school I attended, do, do anything. If you like, worship the living God. <laughs> if you don't do their own exam, you will not enter. If you like, go and write your name in jam. You are not going to enter. Do you understand? So, if you do everything and you don't write the apostolate you know you're on your own, Abby. That's the same thing with how we've learned to overcome habits. We've done everything except the first thing. And let me tell you what the first thing is. I'll tell you what the first thing is shortly. And because you have struggled for a long time and you've done every other thing, you think it's not possible to overcome. Think about it from the analogy of entering a school. So you went to bribe somebody, he did not work. Because you're not on your pursuit me. Yeah, pursuit me. You tried to worship the most high. <laughs> it didn't work. Because you're not on pursuit me. You did what again? You wrote your name in jam. That's even the worst. Don't even look at your face. So after doing everything year after year after year after year, you will think it's difficult to go through this. But it's not true. What you don't know is what to do. So you are zealous, you don't have knowledge. You see it now? You are zealous, but you don't have knowledge. So some of you have said, I've fasted. It didn't work. I've prayed. It didn't work. I've done this. It didn't work. Here's the first thing you need to do. And this is the one that might be difficult for you. It's called benchmarking on prophecy. Say benchmarking on prophecy. And I'll explain to you what it is. It means this. So I'm talking about how to overcome habits and fulfill what God has said you should do. So some of you, it's about your prayer life. You've tried to have a consistent prayer life. It just looks impossible. You've tried different strategies. You've tried praying in the morning. You work for a while, it didn't work again. You've tried praying in the night. You work for a while, it didn't work again. You tried midnight. You work for a while, it didn't work again. You've tried Bible in a year, it didn't work. You tried everything you've tried. But here's what you did not know. You didn't learn to benchmark on prophecy. And you currently are in benchmarking on prophecy. So, what has God said concerning you? What has the Bible said concerning you? What you must do is this. Your least expectation must be what God has said. Now, it's even difficult for you to even believe that you can overcome. So, you can see that your expectation is low. You've reduced the bar. And so, you are consistently falling short because you are hitting the target you actually set. Someone said, if you think you can, you are right. If you think you can't, you are equally right. Because wherever you benchmark is where you are. It's your goal. The least you should benchmark on. So here's the thing. Many of us truly believe that we can keep trying to in our heart of hearts. We believe we can overcome. It's true. It's true. We, in our heart of hearts, we truly believe 
that we cannot have a consistent prayer life. So, in our heart of hearts, we believe that we cannot heal the sick. We believe we don't have boldness. And so he meets the desires of your heart. I hear what I'm saying? So, you are the one that positioned yourself for failure. Benchmark on prophecy. Colossians chapter 3 verse 2. Colossians chapter 3. Listen, I need you to strengthen yourself again and believe what God has said concerning you. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Put yourself together and choose to believe that you can overcome. Are you in Colossians chapter 3 verse 2? Read together, one, two, go. He says in verse 1, If ye has been risen with Christ, so now that resurrection has happened to you, now that you're a new man in Christ, he says, set your affection in verse 2 on the things above, not on the things of the earth. Benchmark on the things of God. You know what the Bible says? He said that the man with carnal mind, he says to be carnally minded is death. This verse, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. It means that now that you have the Spirit of God, put your mindset, set your affection, set your desire, set your benchmark on the things of the Spirit. Let it be that the least expectation you have concerning yourself is what God has said. Let it be that you believe in your heart that because there's a spirit of prayer at work in me, I can lead a consistent prayer life. Let it be that you believe that because the zeal of the Lord consumes me, I can be passionate and effective in evangelism. Let it be that because there's revelation in your spirit, you believe that you can understand God's word. Let it be so. Benchmark on prophecy. Do you hear what I said? Benchmark on prophecy. That's very important. So, I need you to set your expectations high again. I need you to truly be able to believe. Many of you have done it year in, year out, and you believe, oh, this year, I'm going to overcome. This year, I'm going to lead a prayerful life. This year, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. But here's what I said. Benchmark on what? Not resolution. Not resolution. You must believe that, listen, you must believe what God has said. I taught on faith this week um, in maturity class. And we said that faith begins when the will of God is known. What does it mean? It means if God has said I would overcome. I mean, I literally need to think about this. That if God is for me, who can be against me? I hear what I'm saying. If God is for me. So it's not about resolution. I must have something stronger than resolution. Give an example. Look at David and Goliath. It wasn't resolution that made David kill Goliath though. He says, you are fighting against the Most High. You are defiling the, 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 the God of the armies of Israel. It's not about, it's not about patriotism. It's that you are fighting against God. It's, you know what David said? He says, you come to me with a spear and a bow. He says, I come in the name of the Lord whom you defile. He says, you can't fight God and go for free. I am coming in his name. So, you have been fighting for yourself. You have been fighting for your freedom. But benchmark on prophecy. Realize that who the Son of Man has set free is free indeed. Do you hear what I'm saying? 
So realize that the things that are working for you are greater than the things that are working against you. He said, greater is he that is in me. Greater is he, greater, greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. Benchmark on prophecy. So you are not alone. He's fighting with you. He's for you. He's in you. So those things can crush like powder because he's in you. Because he's with you. If God is for you, who can be against you? So we benchmark and prophecy. We believe that, look, this is the will of God concerning my Lord. So, I mean, who can battle with the Lord, isn't it? Number two, recognize the sponsorship and sufficiency of grace. What did I say? Recognize what? Recognize what? The sponsorship and the sufficiency of grace. Titus chapter 2 verse 11. I'm going to read from the Amplified Version. Titus chapter 2 verse 11. But I need you to open it and look at this. Titus chapter 2 and verse 11. Are you there? I need you to read for me from 11 into 12. Are you there? I need you to open very quickly. Titus 2, 11 and 12. Titus 2, 11 and 12. Are you there? Alright, read together. One, two, go. Look at that. I read from the Amplified. It says, The grace of God has come forward and appeared for deliverance from sin and the eternal salvation for all mankind. Verse 12 says, It has trained us. The grace of God has trained us to reject and renounce all ungodliness. It has trained us. There is a training in grace. It trains us to reject ungodliness. You see that? So the grace message doesn't make people sin. It's a lie when people say that because we say that we are saved by grace, it makes us sin. No, 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 no. Because we say we don't have to meet certain moral codes, it doesn't mean we are going to lead a life of sin. It says the grace of God that appears to us, trains us, instructs us to reject ungodliness. What's he saying? That there is a sponsorship in grace. That grace can carry me in such a way that I would reject sin. Are you hearing what I'm saying? That there's sufficient provision in grace that makes... Let me tell you something you should realize. What God did for you in salvation is this. The Bible says, I will take the stony heart out of your flesh. That it means that heart that is hardened. That heart that doesn't respond to the things of God. He says, I will take it out. He says, I will give you a soft heart. He says, I will put my spirit within you. And that spirit, he says, will cause you to do my will. That's the sponsorship of grace. That's the sufficiency of grace. So, now that you've benchmarked on prophecy, don't begin to think, how am I going to do it? It's not of him that will it. It's not of him that will run it. He said, the horse might be ready for battle, but victory is of the Lord. He says, it's not by might. It's not by gift. There's no resolution. He says, it's not by power. He says, by my spirit. There's some, there's a sponsorship. There's a spirit of righteousness at work in you. 
There's literally the Holy Spirit at work in you, prodding you in the direction of holiness. I hear what I'm saying. He's influencing your decisions. He's influencing your appetite. Your appetite. Listen, let me tell you something. And this is one of the things we don't realize. That what God gave us is a new appetite. It means my true gratification is to do with the will of God. Let me tell you what the Bible says concerning Jesus. He says, because you have loved righteousness. It means there is something that can work in you that will make you love righteousness. It's not that you are doing it by yourself. No, 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 no. There's a working of the Spirit in you that makes you love the right things and hate wickedness. Meaning, you just feel I want to pray. And you pray and you have a good time. Do you understand what I'm saying? Where your affection is just about what is above God. And that's important. So, what must you realize? Listen. That right here, right now, the Spirit of God is in me. That Spirit would make me want to pray and enjoy praying. Meaning it's not a struggle. This is why Jesus said concerning disciples, he said, look, the Spirit is willing. You have to realize the willingness of the Spirit of God in you. That would make you willing to consistently do what is right. I hear what I'm saying. So while you thought it's by your own efforts, you'll be using the wrong key to open the door. And that's why it's not working. And listen, when it comes to overcoming habits, there are structures you could put in place. But one thing you should realize is that sufficiency of the Spirit, realizing that what the Spirit is doing in you is okay, is enough, comes before structure. Let me show you. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 6. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. And I'll start from verse 13. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 13. <laughs> Thank you, Lord Jesus. Glory to God. Are you there? Uh, is it First Corinthians six thirteen, right? Candy. <laughs> okay, yeah, it is actually. Look at it. I'll start. Look at verse thirteen. It's the B part of verse 13. I'm going to, but let's start from the beginning. He says, meat for the belly, and the belly for meat. He says, God will destroy them both. He says, now the body is not for fornication. He says, for but for who? And the Lord is for who? Exactly. Let me explain to you what that means. I read from the Amplified to explain that portion to you. What does it mean that the body is for the Lord, and the Lord is for the body? The Amplified says this. He said, the body is not meant for sexual immorality. He says, but instead for the Lord. So he gives you a new purpose for your body. A new purpose for your desires. And then he says, and the Lord is instead for the body. To save, to sanctify, and to raise it again. There is a working of God in you. He has saved you, sanctified you. He has given you desires that are consistent to his will. Here's what you must realize. That knowledge... Is how you activate those feelings in you. So, when you are knowledgeable about the facts, when you come to, remember we said as you behold, you are changed, right? 
As you behold, you are being changed. Isn't it? Isn't it? So as you now begin to realize, and you're looking at God's word, and you are beginning to observe that truly in me, I have new desires because of the Spirit of God. Now, you might not be feeling it. You might not be experiencing it, but you choose to believe God's word. That God is working in me this willingness to do the things he's saying to do. He's working in me such a way that when I do the things he said to do, I'm gratified. I do it, I'm happy. I do it, I'm satisfied. That there are propensities of God that are accentuated in my life. So, what I'm simply doing is I'm enjoying God. And it's the perspective about God that many of us haven't known. You know what David said? He says, I was glad when they say, let us go into the house of the Lord. Imagine, imagine that mentality. Because there is a sponsorship and sufficiency of the Spirit. He says, in the presence of God is fullness of joy. Can you, do you realize that all he's saying about God is satisfaction? Did you see it now? It's satisfaction. So I'm glad when they say they should go to the house of the Lord. When I go there, he says, in his presence, is fullness of joy. Meaning that when I'm doing the things of God, I am gratified. That's the same thing the devil sells to you when he sells sin to you. It's gratification. It's just different methods. It's just different methods. So now God wants to gratify you his own way. That's what you must realize. So when you think that oh, Christianity is boring, it's about sacrifice alone, there's sacrifice in, in Christianity, there's sacrifice in anything. If you do drugs, you realize there's sacrifice in that <laughs> money for food, money for data. We'll be sacrificing it. So there's literally sacrifice in everything. But then there's also gratification in it. So there is gratification in God. And you must believe it before you begin to experience it. So you can begin to enjoy God. Where you know what the Bible says? There is joy in the Holy Ghost. Ah. Meaning, I can see someone that is excited. And it's not because he got a lot or they increased salary. No. Paul talked about the Macedonian church in 1 Corinthians chapter 8. He says, in the deepness of their poverty, they abounded in exceeding joy. There's such an experience that is available for us. I told you, what God is selling to you is gratification. That you are satisfied. We, have, we don't know this. So we think the only satisfaction satisfaction we can get is all that the devil has. Oh, why is it that only the things of the devil are sweet? It's not true. There's gratification in God. Where you can, and, and some of you have experienced it. Where you give to someone that you love and you are happy even if you are broke. You don't know it. In the next one month, you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> some of you will still not know. <laughs> Praise the name of Jesus. It means that it, there can be sacrifice and satisfaction and joy in the same place. Where prayer, you come out and you are like, ah, I will go and pray again. Let me just do other things and I will go back there. Believe it though. There's such a thing. When you worship God and ah, God, you say what David said is true. In his presence is fullness of God. He says that his right hand pleasures forever. I'm selling you what God wants you to have. 
Praise the name of the Lord. See, God is at work in me. Satisfying my needs. Giving me joy. Giving me excitement. Giving me gratification. Say he's at work in me. So, how do you do it? I said, recognize the sufficiency. Do you get what I'm saying? Sufficient. So, I want you to be, begin to begin to at least position your mind. That I can get satisfaction in God. Because sometimes the, this, the, 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 the challenge is usually so when I let go, how am I going to be enjoying myself? Or how am I, you know, how am I going to keep up? How am I going to keep up a prayer life? How am I going to keep up with what God will have me do? Realize what Paul said that it is Him that is at work in you, both to will and to do of His good pleasure. I need you to reprogram your mind. That's what I want you to do. Reprogram your mind such that you are able to look at yourself and say, my satisfaction is in God. That God is doing something in me. And, and here's what I want you to do. I don't want you to be thinking, okay, God is going to do something in me. No, 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 no. He has done it because he gave you his spirit. So, the Bible says that the fruit of the spirit is love. And you have the spirit of God in you. You have the spirit of God in you. He says, what will happen because the spirit of God is in you? Is love. So, you will now realize that you now love easily. So, what do you need to do before you start experiencing it? Realize that love is at work in me. That because of the Spirit of God in my life, I am able to love. You see that now? That because the Spirit of God is in me, I'm able to love. That because the Spirit of God is in me, I have joy. Joy in the Holy Ghost. Do you get what I'm saying? Then I can just be excited. I can just be happy. Do you get what I'm saying? You know the way you feel like when you get all of us get to heaven, we'll just be happy. For no reason, we are just happy. Exactly. Let me tell you something. The Holy Ghost that makes that joy happen in heaven is in you. It means that the joy of eternity, you have it in you right now. Let me tell you what the Bible says. The Bible said the spirit of the prophet is subject to the prophet. It means the limit of the expectation is set by you. The spirit of the prophet. So we can say that we have the joy of eternity. The Holy Ghost that creates joy eternally is in us. But you can curtail him. Because the spirit of the prophet is subject to the prophet. Meaning that joy, you can choose to experience it. Are you what I'm saying? Joy that nothing can steal. Not absence of food, not absence of bay, not absence of. Do you get what I'm saying? There's joy in the Holy Ghost. There's peace. Many of you, your hearts are just troubled. You're just worried. Ah, how am I going to get money next month? How am I going to make money this year? Why are you worrying? Did you realize what Jesus said? He says, Why are you worrying? Here's the challenge. He says, in prayer, you first take away worry before you pray. And that's what's been hindering your prayer. It means you are the one hindering your own prayer by yourself. Allow that peace of God, he says, to guard your hearts. He says, the peace that passes all understanding. I don't know how it will come, but I'm at peace. Now you can approach prayer with peace and confidence. 
You can do life with peace and confidence. Many of you are scared. Why have you not started the business? You are looking at the capital in your hand. Other people have ideas, no capital. You have capital in your hand. You are just fearful. Let the peace of God guard your heart. Some of you, you already know what to do to start that business. You know who to talk to. You are just scared. What if the person doesn't respond? Allow the peace of God. You know what the Bible says? It says the righteous is as bold as lion. Do you get what I'm saying? So, you have been the one fighting yourself. You've been your own hindrance. Allow the influence of the Spirit to be accentuated in your life. Allow love. I'm going to teach on this later on. But if you do, if you do not allow the gift of the Spirit to be operational in your life, you will hinder your own self. It's not God. It's not God that will hinder you. It's not the devil. It's you. Let me give you an example. And this is so powerful. Very powerful. And I would probably just wrap up from here. When you look at the story of Abraham, God had promised Abraham, I'll give you a son. Right? Now, Abraham was sitting outside his house one of those days, just enjoying cool breeze, right temperature, right relative humidity, right wind, whatever, just nice view, you know. And then certain strangers were passing. And then he told them, guys, please come in and eat. No leading of the spirit, no prompting. He just said, come and eat. And then they ate. And then when they were going, they blessed him. They said, by this time next year, Sarah will have a child. And that's how it happened. Abraham has been waiting for that prophecy for 25 years. And so the Bible teaches, takes a lesson from there. And said, you should learn hospitality. That this is how some people by hospitality have entertained angels without knowing and in entertaining angels, what Abraham got was the blessing that God has been promising for the longest time. How did he get it? He, applying what the word of God has said, hospitality, showing love to people, now positioned himself, made himself, you know, stood in a position where the blessing just moved directly straight to him. And this has been the undoing of many of us. So, you are not bold. God has been talking to the person. Make sure you favor someone this year. God is telling the person, make sure you sponsor someone's business. The person says, okay, God, whoever comes to meet me, I'll sponsor the person's business. God says, oh, you have vanity. Every day God is talking to the person about you. You go. You are not bold. No peace. Just trouble. Your mind is, ah, why are you worrying? If God is for you, who can be against you? Calm down. Calm down. Calm down. Here's the thing. You, when God is walking behind the scene, you won't see anything happening, no. Abraham didn't know they were angels. But he allowed for the influence of God's word and God's spirit in his life. What I'm saying is, is you are limitless. We are limitless practically. If we allow... So, how are we going to overcome? We just realize that, listen, uh-uh. The spirit of holiness is inside me now. Uh-uh. That I can just have a new... I ha- Not that I can. I now have a new desire. Do you get what I'm saying? What did the Bible say? Say, it says, walk in the spirit. It says, and you know, fulfill the loss of the flesh. In Galatians, in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 that we're reading, let me just read there and just wrap up. 
First Corinthians chapter 6, um, verse, I'll read from verse 15. Let me, let me go back to the um, KJV. Glory to God. He says, Know ye not. So, this is Corinthian church, and these guys have had the propensity, they had proclivities, especially towards sexual immorality. Look at what Paul said, and I said this before, that the sufficiency of the Spirit comes before structure. Many of you have been put this structure, okay, okay, I'll do this. This is how I'll overcome. This is how I'll be what God has said to do. This is how I'll do it. But the sufficiency of the Spirit comes before structure. Structure is important, but sufficiency of the Spirit comes before it. Look at what he says. He says, know you know that your body is member of Christ. He says, shall you take the member of Christ and make it member of the hallowed? He says, what? Know you not that he that is joined to the hallowed is one body. He says, so then shall become one flesh. He says, but he that is joined to God is one spirit. So he's telling you that, listen, the way to overcome is this. Before you talk about structure, realize that you are joined with God and you are one spirit. And that spirit has desires that are in accordance to the will of God. Meaning that you can get satisfaction that is still in accordance to the will of God. So before structure, realize that there's something that God is doing in my life that would make me to fulfill everything that he has said to do. I'm at the center of God too for my life. God is at work in me. The Spirit of God is at work in me. Grace is sponsoring my life. Grace is sufficient for me. My life is a product of grace. I am what I am by the grace of God. And even when I will labor abundantly and put structures around my life, I know it is not I, but it is the grace of God at work in me. I am a product of grace and I'm at the center of God's will for my life. Please rise up on your feet and make those declarations over the next 30 seconds to 2 minutes and just say that grace is sufficient for me. Grace is sufficient.